This podcast is presented by Convergence, a magazine for radical insights. So one thing that me and my co-chair used to say in New York City to leftists, which is like, get jobs in local government because, dang it, if we did get power, we wouldn't even know what to do with it because we don't even know how to run the city, right? And I think the migrant crisis and that is like pointing to that is like, how do we push past our ideology and actually like govern in real time? Like, how do you govern around safety when you're abolitionist, right? Like, what is it actually going to take, you know, to get there? And like, so it was just like, yeah, get jobs in local government, figure out how it works so we can figure out how to dismantle it. Welcome to Black Work Talk, the podcast voice of Black workers, leaders, activists, and intellectuals exploring connections between race, capitalism, labor, and culture, and the struggle for democratic progressive governing power. I'm your host, Bianca Cunningham. And I'm your co-host, Jamala Rogers. On this episode, Bianca and I are discussing current events around Palestine, how workers' movements fold into it, how we move the left into the upcoming election year, but mainly how are we centering workers' struggles in all of these struggles. So let's get into it. So my week so far has been a bit heavy but I have felt that heaviness uh, since COVID and it really hasn't mm. lifted. But I think the international situation has made it a bit heavier, partly because when you're sitting here in St. Louis, Missouri, and you see what's going on in other places, you feel totally helpless. Um, and it feels like you're in spectator mode when you really should be in a more activated mode. Uh, but then trying to determine where best to put your energies, who's the target, all of that starts to come into play. And then talking with other comrades, they they may be in the same place. And so uh, you really just crying on each other's shoulders. But yeah, at a certain point, there's got to be some breakthroughs. Uh, and I say that for the upcoming year, not just because it's an election year, but there's been, I've been seeing a number of things building up uh, people on the left getting more uh, engaged, having more ideological and political discussions about issues, which I haven't seen as much of in the past, but always yearned for it. So I think there is something afoot. Uh, and then this is what what we've been calling the year of walkouts and strikes, because people are just tired of, you know, the kind of oppression that these corporate monsters are, uh, you know, pushing on us. And so The thing for me is how are we also then educating and uh, engaging and agitating uh, working class folks so that they are part of this this bigger movement? No, that sounds right. That's heavy for the week. You're right. Shout out to all the people who feel burnt out because that's what I feel this week. I just feel like you said, like there's so much going on, you know, both here, you know, in the United States as well as abroad that just has me feeling real heavy. I'm not complete. I'm not hopeless. Right. I'm not in that space at all, but I am just feeling like I need a break. (laughs) And and I think the same the same feeling of kind of just trying to figure out what is going to be the thing um, 
that's going to break, that's going to get us like this permanent ceasefire and what's going to be the break in Congo, what's going to be the break in Sudan. But it hasn't been all bad this week. I feel like this is like we're living in a time where like, you know, uh, decades are happening in a span of weeks. The UAW called for a ceasefire um, in Palestine this week. I thought that was huge. Um, I think there's only a few other unions, national unions rather, that have actually done that. I know APWU or the American Postal Workers Union, um, United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers, the UE, shout out to them, um, as well as the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. But the real question is, why haven't more unions um, felt the need to take a stance on something that is just really rocking the world, you know, at the moment? Well, one of the things that I think has made it more difficult this time around is the Zionist pushback feels very different than it has in the past. So when you have people in various cities uh, calling for student groups on campuses to be defunded if they uh, speak out in, in, in solidarity with, with the Palestinian people, it, it, that seems a little different. And then, you know, this is the thing that was, you know, came out also in a conversation I had this week that there are, and this is happening in 38 states and, and Missouri is one of them. And when you get federal funding, you have to sign a, a clause that says you will not boycott against any products from Israel, yada, yada, yada. I saw that. So when we talk about the, the, yeah, the divestment movement, you know, the folks who might be doing it, wanting to do that are the folks who are getting money and who have signed away their rights to do that. So it's, it's complicated in that way that, you know, some folks say, oh, I'll never, it'll never happen that I have to do that. Well, well now, now that day is here. And I know uh, some of the groups that I'm with, when, when I, it came across my desk to sign, I'm like, nah, absolutely not. But, uh, but in 38 states, that means the Zionists have already been there doing their work. And, and now we have to deal with, with what they've done and the fact that it happened on our watch. We didn't even know it was didn't going on. Didn't even know it was going on. I actually saw instances of, you know, victims of uh, the hurricane in Texas and the flooding talking about the fact that they could, yeah, like you said, not receive um, assistance or federal funding to help them rebuild if they, unless they agreed to not boycott any, um, like you said, products from Israel, which is wild. It's just like, how has this creeped so far into the fabric of how we're operating and how our government is handling us? It's just, it's unbelievable. I saw Chase the other day coming on to say that they are not going to hire any students who um, were accused or, or have been in part of the ceasefire demonstrations um, or pro-Palestinian. I mean, that is just, the repression is just so, it feels so heavy right now. I know so many people in nonprofit spaces and labor spaces um, and movement spaces who are even afraid to speak up themselves for fear of, you know, retaliation and retribution 
you know, the other side of that is the reason that they're, I think, coming down so hard is that they see that people are really just not buying it this time. You know, I've seen a lot of discourse, you know, specifically on TikTok about how, you know, the lawmakers are, you know, there's been leaked conversations that say they need to come after TikTok because TikTok is <laughs> radicalizing the masses, you know, at this rate. Um, I've seen things that are that are coming out, you know, just talking about the impact that the boycotts have had, particularly with Starbucks. Books um, worldwide, and them losing. I think they said like what thirteen point five percent of their their of their worth. Um, they they've lost it now. You know, I don't even know how that works, but you know, whatever they were worth, they're worth less now. How's your week been so far, Jamala? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. So like, period. But it's like I feel like we're in this war right now. This war of ideas. This war about principles. This war about like the type of, you know, world that we want to see. And I think that this um, conversation, particularly surrounding Israel and Palestine, is like really like challenging uh, settler colonialism as a whole, right? And like what that means, what does it mean um, that the people in Congo are having to mine for cobalt, right? And don't, and, and, and should be one of the richest and resources, you know, countries in the world, but because of settler colonialism, right? are one of the poorest, right? Like, what does this mean? And like, what does that mean for the stolen land that we're all on here in North America? And so I just feel like, Mm -hmm. yeah, this consciousness Mm -hmm. raising that's happening right now, it just feels promising. At the same time, it feels like I wish the left was better positioned, right? Sometimes to like capture some of that momentum in a real like uh, sustained way. And I don't know that we are. But but it feels yeah, and just like a small example of like okay, so my nails right, I got I got pro Palestinian nails, I got the Palestinian flag and everything else, and I and like last like when I sent it to my nail tech, who shout out to him, he's amazing, you know, I was like trying to test him, like will you do this, right? I sent him the inspo, and, and I was like, this is what I want, and he was just like, yeah, I'm down, and I was so surprised. I said, you're gonna put it on the shop page, and he's like, yeah, and I'm like, that's a heavy thing to do in New York, especially. Especially in New York City, you know, I was just like really like probably they're like and and you know the other people in the shop were like I would have killed you know we're all standing with Palestine I would have killed you know really been mad at him if he wouldn't have posted that like we all stand with you and I think just like small examples of like regular everyday people just recognizing what's right and being like no we're gonna stand together even though we recognize that we're gonna lose money that it's scary that we're gonna potentially jeopardize career you know down the line but like this is really like. This is a the crisis of humanity. And so all of us as humans should feel this at some, you know, at some level that this is just the right thing to do. And, and so I think to your point about the the repression uh and 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 the response that people are are giving, uh, which seems also very different from before. I think some of that is based on the work that Palestinians and Palestinian Americans have been doing. Uh, in the last few years, really trying to uh, cut through some of the mythology of, you know, the Zionist narrative. But but also, uh, when you look at what's happening, if, if you're watching, still watching mainstream media, and you see the destruction, and you see what's going on, you, you just know fundamentally on a human level, this this is not right, and it's, it's, it's unfair. But here here's what I thought was interesting. NBC did a poll, and if you can be, believe polls, the only reason I'm citing this because I think it's interesting. There was a poll done like right after October 7th when 
all of this began to happen. And then and, and that that the poll favored the people who were served favored the way Israel was responding. Mm. Well, a month later, those numbers had dropped significantly. And he and I, I think it's because when people see also they they see the carnage, the human carnage, they they're responding to that. But then when you start to see what the Zionists are doing in retaliation, and I think that has made that pendulum swing the other way because wait a minute, don't I have a right to say uh, I support the Palestinian people, or don't I have a right to to call for a ceasefire? How how is that anti-Semitic? You know, and so people are like they got a, a visible reaction to that. Wait a minute, you can't tell me I. I can't do this. And so now you've seen the pendulum swim, swing the other way, uh, even if people don't know all the dynamics about, you know, what's going on between Israel and, and the Palestinian people. And so I'm thinking, OK, this little backlash for them is their own doing because the more repressive they are. And when they called, you know, the 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 three uh presidents from the Ivy League schools up to Congress to rake them over the coals. It, it felt very McCarthy-like. And I know you weren't even born then, but you know, folks who remember McCarthy and the, uh, the, the Committee on Un-American Activities, that's what it's starting to feel like. And I don't think people like that mm. feeling. Even if they don't even know that it happened, they just don't like the feeling that you getting called in or called out because of a particular view that's supposed to be protected in the spectrum of, of liberties that we have here in this country. Oh, I see what you're saying. So that's a good way to put it. It's people, we're just, well, we are rebellious uh, Americans. Right? <laughs> so we don't take uh, kindly to anybody telling us what to do, you know? So that's a good, th- th- that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about it like that. You know, for me, I just was thinking like, I think, people are sick of being manipulated and recognize the ways in which mainstream media. And I think particularly a certain generation, especially with like having other forms of media on the internet, et cetera, that can counteract those mainstream. Like I don't really know many people who watch the news except for like a certain age and up, you know, like I don't, I don't know a lot of younger people that watch the news, but I think, you know, to me, it looks like a backlash of like not wanting to be manipulated, only hearing one side and also people's understanding of liberation movements in maybe a different way, right? That if you could understand liberation movements in history that, you know, yes, it is true that people have the right to defend themselves and that there is always a limit to how much you can have your foot on somebody's neck, whether it be figuratively speaking or, you know, real, really. So, yeah, literally. literally. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was interesting the other day hearing somebody yeah. talk about, you know, the connections about like, you know, people are saying that's all the way over there. It really doesn't affect us. And, you know, just me thinking about, you know, I grew up in a Zionist Christian household for sure. Like I was taught as a child it worked, growing up in Church of God in Christ that, you know, my like the, my key to heaven basically was to support, you know, Jews and their right to land. Right. Um, or Israel rather and their right to land. And so I always grew up, you know, thinking a 700 club, all those things, you know, conditioned me to think that like, this is the way <laughs> things are. No, like dead. Like I'm, I'm so serious. Like I like that 700 club used to be my ticket to get out 
to go play in the summertime. My mom would be like, did you watch the 700 club? What did you learn? Did you read your Bible verses? So like that has all been like really ingrained in me. And I think it's just really interesting how people say, you know, it doesn't affect us because it does, it's affecting the way that we worship or what we believe about our spirituality. There's connections between, you know, what that, you know, disgusting move that Chauvin did to, you know, uh, murder George Floyd. We know that we can tie that directly back to IDF tactics, you know, that police on this side have learned. We know that Cop City is directly tied to the IDF. And it's particular me living in New York City. We understand that, you know, even like in 2020, there was a lot of instances of like kettling, um, there's a big lawsuit that was just settled where the NYPD had to pay, you know, a, many protesters um, for those instances of kettling. But then you go back and, you know, kettling is just like when they surround you in a protest and they say that you have to evacuate, but you actually have no way to get out. Right. That's safe. That feels safe. That is not putting you in direct, con- you know, um, direct uh, root of the police themselves. And, you know, like they learned that from IDF too. And so it's just like, I, you know, people really just, I hope that you feel like this repression and all these things, like, like what you're saying, Jamala, these, there are many connections and we ought to be paying attention because it's coming for us. It's coming for us. It's coming. It's coming. Hi, this is Caden, the publisher of Convergence Magazine. There are a lot of places that you can put your hard-earned money in support of our movements, but if you're enjoying this show, I hope you'll consider subscribing to Convergence on Patreon. We're a small, independent operation and rely heavily on our readers and listeners like you to support our work. You can join us at patreon.com slash convergencemag. Subscriptions are pay-what-you-can, but at 10 bucks a month, you'll get goodies as well as knowing you're helping to build a better media system one that supports people's movements and fights fascism. And if you can't afford it right now, don't worry. All our shows will be free for you to enjoy. You can also help by leaving us a positive review or sharing this episode with a comrade. Thank you so much for listening. I think the encouraging thing for me is the young people's connection with the Palestinian uh, struggle uh, and, and, you know, the, uh, there's another NBC poll that says, you know, uh, young people, their sympathies are with the Palestinians. And so when you think about the fact that Palestine is almost 50 percent young people under the age of 17, then you could see why young people mm. would be uh, drawn to those folks. And I know even during Ferguson uprising, uh, there were uh Palestinians who actually arranged for uh, a contingent of the protesters to go there. And so then you started to see in Palestine, Palestine is Ferguson, Ferguson is Palestine. And they've made it an instant connection. And, you know, I can tell you that those young people who went there, that was a powerful experience. And they still talk about it almost a decade later, that it had that kind of impact on them. So the other thing that, you know, uh, people found out during Ferguson uprising is that the the county the county police that were trained were trained uh, in 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 mm. Israel uh, in the same tactics. So when uh, I think when some of the Palestinian youth started seeing some of those tactics, like okay, here's what y'all need to do. Here's how to uh, deal with that that tear gas in your eyes. And so they were just sending all kind of messages back and forth. And so it it just was a, a, a organic connection between young people struggling against you know 
it uh, mighty, mighty, mighty uh, forces, and uh, in in many ways, just showing in the in the most highest form of resistance that they had available to them, which sometimes were rocks and Molotov cocktails, that we are not going to sit down. We are not going to be silent. And I think the young people picked up that spirit uh, very, very, very well. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I know I've had many um, comrades, homies that have made the, you know, made the journey over to Gaza um, visited, you know, the West Bank and 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 taught, speak very fondly and profoundly about their experiences um, there, and it's something that has really impacted their organizing and their and their outlook on life. Period. You know, going forward, um, you know, since the since their visits, I mean, I'll also just say another thing that happened this week, which was kind of cray, was just seeing the GOP or the Republicans vote down Biden's package to Ukraine and Israel because they didn't feel like it went far enough on our own southern border. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, like I'm just thinking a lot about how, you know, the discourse right now among youngst people, amongst young people is like, you're not going to bully me to vote blue no matter who. And I see, you know, a lot of older, you know, activists and more seasoned people saying like, you know, that's so unwise to even embark in that conversation. Like, what do you want, Trump? It's so dangerous, et cetera. But it's just like, I feel the desperation of people being like, but how do we break out of this two-party system where we're always going to be voting for the lesser of two evils, especially? And like, Mm -hmm. how do we not like, you can't draw a line on genocide. It's like, what can you, what are we willing to draw the line on? Right. Um. And I'm also thinking a lot about how, you know, some of the discourse has also been like Joe Biden's administration is telling, you know, Israel, like, wrap it up. Like, you got basically the rest of the month to do what you got to do. And after that, we're going to election year. And I think the Democrats see how this is potentially real. I mean, not even potentially, this is harming them, you know, significantly um, for their chances of reelection. We don't have a lot of other good options. I see, I just want to really shout out like the young woman from Party of Socialists and Liberation. I don't remember Claudia. Um, her last name escapes me, but who have like, you know, been on, uh, on the line, I would say on, in my universe, in my algorithm. And I've even had people who don't follow politics, you know, younger folks in, in, in my world, bring them up and say, Hey, you know, these folks are running for president. We know that they can't win, but like, we got to start like supporting like third party candidates. Like, how are we going to break out of this cycle? So it's just making me think a lot about like how the election year is, um, being, you know, next year having a effect on, you know, what is happening and the decisions that are being made around our, you know, unite our government support for Israel in this moment. Yeah. And we, we do know that there are not just a presidential election next year, but there's local and state elections next year as well. And there are a number of, you know, lefties that, that don't think they need to be participating in that process. And, you know, I've always tried to respect them for that. But I also know that as organizers, you are really trying to create the optimum space for continuing to organize our people. And if you don't look at it as you voting for Tweedledee or Tweedledum or the lesser of evils, but you actually strategically looking at the landscape and say, which of these candidates are going to give me the the opportunities, the continued opportunities to organize in the way that we know how in an open way? Because mm-hmm. I can tell you, Trump has always been clear that he's going to do a dictatorship. 
So if you think you're going to organize what, what you're doing now, I say even for unions, uh, it's not going to be the same. And there are going to be all these laws that get implemented, some of them that are already on the books that then will be enforced, that um, that you are in violation of this, that, and the other, and will be detained or jailed or whatever, uh, and people will never hear of the Jamala and Biancas again and wonder where we went. So... I'm saying that Joe Biden is is not the the best president in the world, but what what do we have? What is he doing now that's going to keep civil liberties open enough that we can continue to organize? That to me is really what it's all about. How are we going to maintain our civil liberties so we can continue continue to organize? Because we know the U.S. is not the best example of democracy. So we are still fighting uh, for, for that to happen, that experiment to be real. So if those opportunities or those doors close and the repression comes on folks like us, then uh, we will see something worse than martial law. So to me, the, the engagement of people going forward into 2024 uh, really should be or could be exciting uh, if we actually frame some of these issues in ways that people get excited about them and not just say, oh, we got to hold our nose and vote for that. What's our agenda? What's the left's agenda? How are we looking at these issues? And uh, I don't think we've had enough discussion about that, about what the left is doing. And I know Convergence Magazine is doing a webinar on the Palestinian question uh, coming you know, soon. And it's basically how is the left responding? And I know there's been a lot of webinars out there, but they've been sort of generic. Like, here's what's happening here. To the, let's call for the. But what are we doing as the left in the U.S.? I mean, people keep looking here and say, OK, what, what's y'all's view? And then, then you got 56 views uh, going on out there. Yeah, I wish I could agree with you more, Jamala. And I know that, like I said, like more seasoned organizers do like say like the things that you just said to me, like I've had them reach out to me and say that. I just say that I think my young millennial soul <laughs> is like more with Gen Z than 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 anybody else on this. I just I'm sick of voting for the lesser of two evils. I mean, I personally I feel like seeing protesters like, you know, the Rico charge around Cop City, seeing them vote to say that anything, you know, um, that's against, you know, that's pro-Palestinian is, is basically anti-Semitic in the Congress. You know, being one of those big, you know, people on the left who came into the left on like the Sanders wave, right? The first Sanders wave and feeling like, oh, wow, we could really get like, this is the revolution, right? Or this is, this is revolutionary politics and being so disappointed in Bernie's like, you know, inability to call for a ceasefire, inability to uh, understand and support defunding, you know, police departments and funding other services for people. I I mean, I think I have just been like completely deflated around those issues. And so I'm working through it and I'm not going to say anything definitively, but I will say that I really do like really um, empathize and really resonate with like, you know, the folks who are like, let's just, you know, support Claudio de la Cruz, you know, the PSL candidates or Karina Garcia, or just like talk about something different because the limits are are visible and, and they feel so real um, to younger folks that it's just like, what is the actual point? Like we're still voting for corporations at the mm -hmm, end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. And, I, and also I was just say as being part of like, you know, New York City Democratic Socialists of America was one of the first chapters, you know, in recently um, 
to really get like a governing, you know, caucus or slate or have a governing project, right? And on the state level. And I would say that like, you know, as somebody who was in leadership, whenever that happened, really championed, you know, those candidates really thought and still think that there's value in having, you know, progressives in the, in the state, you know, Senate and assembly, et cetera. I have also seen the limitations of that project, like of how, you know, like people talking about like, how can you run a revolutionary constituency services? Like, what is that? Like, what are we doing that's different and not, you know, and really struggling to try to figure that out, struggling to work whenever you're being censured or, you know, um, disciplined by house house leaders um and and i think that there's just like i I feel like a lot of us who are part of that project particularly around like 2014 um and on feel kind of just like okay we did this thing and it doesn't feel like it really made a difference and no we don't have the majority that's true but it also you know just thinking about like conversations i had with some of my friends earlier this week about like what's happening like with the Brandon Johnson administration like you know i think that there's like a limit to like what we can achieve by just electing people and and i think that like being in those positions really like clarifies the contradictions and also clarifies like the actual work of like what happens whenever real life is happening, but we feel like we have ideas, you know, around a certain thing. And I mean, what we were talking about earlier this week was the migrant crisis. You know, I live in New York City. I know buses of migrants are coming all the time. Our mayor, terrible. Uh, Eric Adams is always villainizing the migrants, you know, talking about like every, every cut, every problem that we have in the city, according to him, it's the, he blames it on them. And I certainly, you know, disagree with that framing, but I think it was really interesting to hear, you know, my comrade talk about, you know, being in Chicago and having that same, you know, there being like some sort of like rifts or conversations about what are the limits to their ability and the infrastructure and the resources to be able to take in migrants, right? Or, you know, take these people in in a way that, you know, they could be sheltered, that they, you know, that that's responsible. That's not just putting them in a tent in, 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 in 15 degree weather, right? And saying like, bear with us. Like, and I think like, I don't know, just for me, I feel like I have felt all those limits and, and I'm still trying to grapple with like, what the answer is. And I don't necessarily think that like, I think history can show that, but I also feel like we haven't really achieved it. So like really nobody knows the answer. Like, I think we're like in a, in a weird like phase, which is why I've always been in favor of like a big tent organization with a lot of different strategies, because I don't believe there's one strategy that anybody could say is foolproof and will work. So when I hear you talking and I, and, and I, I believe there are definite limitations to electoral politics. It, I see it as a way to build power. Uh, but one thing that we in the left have not done a good job about is to show uh, the majority of our, our people, our base, that that is not working for them. I mean, because you still have people that are working within the confines who do tweaking it, making it better. So therefore, people think, OK, now it's better. Now we get expanded Medicaid. But but what we have not pushed is a is a is more of a socialist vision that here's what it would look like. We wouldn't be having these fights. This, these things would be guaranteed in, in, in under, under the government that we envision. And so I'm I'm, I'm thinking about what would happen if we had a workers party here, Bianca. 
Most of the places that we look to and talk about, they have a workers' party that actually is part of the parliament or the government, and you get a proportional uh, part of the power. I think people would would really work towards more towards that because you can actually see what your your power is within that government and you can work for more power and it gives you room to negotiate. So we, you know, us in this country, we we seem not to be willing to to be serious about a third party. Uh, we complain, we definitely complain about the, the Republicans, but we also moan and groan about the Democrats. And they have been taking our votes for granted for for generations. So why do we keep going there as opposed to breaking away, creating something different? It doesn't have to be a workers' party. I'm just saying when I look around the world, uh, those parties are, are having power and they sometimes they can get corrupted. But I'm just saying that when you don't have that third party, a serious third party, not not you know the sort of fringe thing that we have, how does it make people feel about where they can where their power is coming from and how can they grow that power in a different kind of way? I don't, but I don't see like, I don't think that it's about the lack of people, like people not wanting a third party or a workers party at their choice. As a matter of fact, when I hear this come up in organizations, there often is a tendency of people who are saying like, let's build a party. And, you know, honestly, if I'm, if I'm being real, what I basically saw is people like dismiss that and say that that's irresponsible or we're just not there. Like I've never seen, you know, the left, like as a whole, take it seriously. And I also would say that like, then it is really like, we have other people running for president. I think Cornell West is running, right? I mentioned Claudia de la Cruz earlier from Party for Socialists and Liberation. Uh, Marianne Williamson is running again. I mean, but why But why isn't that I don't hear any of those names as as like, ser- I mean, even Cornell West is like of the left, but I don't hear anybody in left talking about Cornell West or trying. What I hear is people saying, particularly older people telling me that's throwing away your vote. And so it's like, yes, you can say like people aren't taking third party seriously, but it's like when you have to have some sort of first strike for a third party, like there has to be some sort of first, you know, step or movement. And when I see people trying or grasping to say, like, can we do something different, even if it is symbolic, even can we just start to build towards that? I get people saying, no, you got to vote blue no matter who. Mm-hmm. No, I, I heard that. And of course, we heard it with. um the uh, environmentalists, we've we've heard it a number of times when but but those people generally on their own decide they want to do something. It's not really coming from a, a movement like the, the left said, OK, in the next two to five years, we are going to seriously devote some time and energy to building a third party. We've never really had those discussions. And so in in in, in lieu of that, then it does seem dangerous when some person decides, you know, either on their own or or in a small organization to say, here, we're going to do this. We're going to run as a third candidate. Well, I think people, it's hard for them to visualize the winning part when you do that. It seems like more of a symbolic run than anything. And I'm just saying the left has not done the due diligence to create a third party that would make it um, not just powerful, but uh, 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 attractive to to working class people to say, hey, that's very different from the, the Democratic Party. It seems like that's a place that we can 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 find a, a political home. And uh, I just get so disgusted. Like we keep talking and complaining and moaning and groaning. 
but then, you know, always come back to the Democratic Party. Yeah, I've, I've been talking and writing about this for years, so I'm I'm very passionate about like why we can't have a third party. But yeah, I, I I guess the only thing I would say is that like this reminds me of an organizational debate that we used to have about like who we would support to run for office, and some people were of the mind that we should only support people who are members and within our movement, and there was a group of people that say no because people can just come organically out of the community out of and not I necessarily be a part of our very small, 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 small left, right? Like we need to open up the possibility for other people to be able to say like, hey, I'm a teacher and I want to run for office and maybe I wasn't a member of so-and-so organization or I haven't read capital, but like I, but I still, you know, <laughs> feel like I want to, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I, and this is what that's kind of sounding like to me, like Honestly, as somebody who's somebody like newer to the left only within the last like 10, 15 years, I have to say that I have found the left to be really alienating and inaccessible. Um, and does and and a lot of it does not resonate with like the way that I interact or engage with my friends and family on on a daily basis. And so I see those things as like uh, I don't see it as like a full project. I see it as like I give my work to the movement, but I see it as very separate from what I'm doing with community because I can't engage with my community like that. And so I'm just saying like I'm open to the possibility that a candidate can come out, and it doesn't have to be somebody that something that we curated our own. Like I think movements just like happen and like it's okay if it happens outside of like our very small club and i i really i think that's true what i'm saying is that those then become moments not movements that because those people didn't come out of a strategy then they are individuals who are thinking on their own about how to move forward uh and rarely are they connected with um not even organizations, but a community that makes them accountable. And so what I think people get disgusted is they'll vote for somebody who's saying all the right things and then they see them get pulled into the swamp and like, well, what happened? Well, my answer to that is one thing, they were not connected to a right. community that's or right. to a, 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 somebody that's going to hold them accountable where even if they're not, not just holding them accountable, but even thought partners like what I, what what do you think I should be doing around this issue uh what do you you know I I don't see that happening and before you know it then you know you you are protesting the very person that you just put in office because now they done did a flip on you so I do think that there has to be a organized body centered for a third party it doesn't mean that people can't run it just means that there's there's no opportunity for us to really build power when just individuals are running and doing their thing. No, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. And have also been, you know, disillusioned with people who, like I said, I mean, I, I love Bernie. Bernie came out to support me whenever I was fired from Verizon Wireless years ago. You know, he made my job a topic and I really am like forever grateful for that. But also I realized the limits of, you know, how how the ways that I didn't agree with him and the ways that it just didn't go far enough, you know, for me, you know, on some other issues. And I think I felt like that similarly with AOC, similarly, you know, with, you know, with, with others. And so I just feel like, you know, it's always hard because it's like how once somebody is in that powerful position, particularly co Congress or really any elected position, it almost puts them at a at a power imbalance with the movement in a lot of senses because they can choose to be accountable or they can choose to come in and out the way they want to but really what my experience has been is that they think that we need them more and they have a platform 
uh, separate from us. And so it's like a favor back instead of it being like mm-hmm, a really in, mm-hmm. in somebody being embedded, embedded. Mm-hmm. And so I get that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that they're, they're, they're still like, like I said, limitations. And we could talk about this, I think all day, <laughs> but I think like, this is bringing me back to one thing that me and my co-chair used to say in New York city to leftists, which is like, get jobs and local government because dang it if we did get power we wouldn't even know what to do with it because we don't even know how to run the city right and i think the migrant crisis and that is like pointing to that is like how do we push past our ideology and actually like govern in real time like how do you govern around safety when you're abolitionist right like what is it actually going to take you know to get there and like so it was just like yeah get jobs in local government figure out how it works so we can figure out how to dismantle it um and also just stop moving because like we, you know you in order to build community you got to be in a community for some time so i think those mm-hmm. are the two things and the communities that are not we remote always- they are not remote. You won't you won't organize right. remotely, okay? I was thinking about the 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 being in, in city government and we have been in, in, in city governments and in, in, in governments for at least five five uh decades. I mean I can remember working on the, the campaign for in Newark for the their first black mayor. So it's not that we don't know. We we have accumulated knowledge about how to do this, but we haven't been able to make it a common reservoir where people who want to run can say, here's some of the pitfalls, here's some of the things that didn't work, but here's some things that did work, and here's how the community can, can continue to support us. So when I look at places like Jackson, Mississippi, and I'm looking at, you know, the, the people's assemblies that, you know, were created. Those came out of movement. Uh, it came directly out of the National Political Convention in Gary, those assemblies. And they worked if you can keep them together and make them work. But uh, and then even in, in Newark, New Jersey, where Ras Baraka is, I mean, they're doing some different kinds of things that that people haven't done. And so you you, you know what works. But I think when you get there, what tends to happen is people like us who put him there then says, phew, he's elected now. Let's wipe our hands. He knows what to do. And, you know, these people are getting ready to go up against, you know, these corporations. They get ready to go up with people who, who look like us, who, who want to run, who want the power. And so it's not that easy just because you, you want to do what's right and what's correct that you're going to prevail. Uh, so, so I think the way that we look at electoral politics got to be completely different going forward uh, and of the way that we look at, um, you know, power, a, a third party, whether it be a workers party or any kind of third party, uh, what that would look like in this country, because what what's not working is what we have now. And we don't need to keep, you know, investing time and energy in that. We need to be creating something new and powerful and meaningful to, to our people. So when you say that stuff doesn't resonate with you, you part of the people that we have to convince, like, you know, this is something new and different. And if it ain't new and different, ain't nobody going to come to that party for sure. No, that's right. That's right. Nobody's going to come. Nobody's showing up to your party if it's not new or different. And I think that like, you know, I, like I said, I we talked earlier, you know, regarding like the like collective conscious raising that we feel like is happening globally, particularly though, maybe with this country. I don't know if it's generational. I don't know what it is, but I feel it. And I feel like you could see that manifesting in the fact that this was definitely the year of walkouts and strikes. So that's like one thing we could definitely say is that there was no shortage of um, showing union power 
workers' power, talking about workers' issues, and the fact that, like, the working class of this country is, like, tired, like, sick and tired, um, for, for sure. The Washington Post, I saw, did a staff walkout yesterday on December 7th, which was you know, really, really good to see. I see just like, I feel like every day I'm opening up Instagram or my emails or newsletters and I'm getting announcements of workers walking out, striking, um, showing power. Uh, and I think, you know, I've been, I saw that the, who is it? The, um, hospitality workers in Vegas, what are they called? The, the, the union or the The union, the union, biggest, biggest hospitality union. Uh, that's here. Isn't that here? What do you, when you say here? here? Hosp- oh, that's H-E-R-E. Yeah, hospitality I, was trying to think, and- I was trying to think about the acronym. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, but but I saw that they won one of their biggest contracts. I know they were threatening to walk out for a while. I thought I was going to have to tri- cancel mm-hmm. my trip to Vegas. So I was telling my aunt, like, listen, we're going to see yeah. Usher, but if they go on strike, I'm not going to be in the building. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, they depend on those hospitality workers to make that city run. So That's if right. they on strike, you have nothing. <laughs> That's right. So gra- glad to yeah. see their win. I, I want to look more into, like, what they actually got. But, you know, it's been a year of winning for the working class. Um, you know, I think flexing some power, I think we have a long way to go, of course, to actually meet the crisis that it feels like we're in with inflation and everything else and jobs. But, you know, that has been, you know, like a positive thing. And it does make me feel like, okay, um, there's a shift happening, right? Yeah. You know, recently I went to a play, uh, 1887, that was about one of the first strikes. It was the railroad strikes. And uh, it, it had a big impact in St. Louis because they, you know, organized workers across, you know, I think it was four states. Uh, and uh, really, uh, it got a chance to see what the city how they would respond to workers. And these were basically white workers that got their heads beat in and, and whatever, but uh, it's still a lot of lessons to be learned there. And one of the things that is interesting that hasn't been talked about in, in, in many years is a general strike. Ooh. So we're seeing all these different strikes, but what would it look like to have a general shutdown in this country? Right. That would be a real attention getter. And I'm not just saying get it for attention, but we need to make a point about what we're not going to accept going forward. And, uh, you know, the general strike, it it takes quite a bit of organization, a lot of solidarity, you know, unified approach. But I think we're getting to that point where something is going to have to be different than what we do. So when I see I see these strikes, I'm happy, but I'm saying ultimately we may have to go for the big one. But again, UAW, shout out to them, their new leadership, their their union is seems like it's revitalized. They feel like I feel like they are. It's just really exciting to see, you know, calling and telling everybody, listen, we lined our stuff up from 2028. Here's your chance. Start organizing now. Try to line your contracts up with 2028. I mean, I think how visionary, how bold, like to start to put something real, like a real date behind something, you know, that we can work towards. And I'm really excited, you know, to talk to you know, Cecily next week because, oh, sorry, Josh, I don't know when we're going to talk to Cecily according to this episode, but like, I'm really <laughs> excited to see like more serious union leaders talking about general strike, you know, in a, in a real manner, people who I respect, people who know what it takes to organize and people who have large member organizations to be able to, 
to really drive that. So yeah, UAW saying 2028 makes me feel like, okay, we got our marching orders. We can really do something if we mm-hmm. all get in formation mm-hmm. for 2028. Mm-hmm. You know, that's five years. Mm-hmm. We got five years to get it together. And I feel like that is putting us in a, in a, in a step towards, you know, will we be able to answer the call? Will we be, will we be able to rise to this moment? Um, this big moment that is, is very much needed for all of us to rise to. Yeah. So I always put my, if I'm a betting woman, I'm a bet on working class every time. And so going forward, I think, you know, the momentum going in 2024 is, is excitement. It's exhilarating. And uh, I look forward to us talking about more uh, of the worker victories uh, in, in 2024. Black Work Talk is published by Convergence, a magazine for radical insights. If you haven't already subscribed, be sure to do so to catch future episodes when they drop and leave a review whenever you listen. You can support this show by becoming a monthly patron for as low as $5 per month at patreon.com slash blackworktalk. Executive producer for Black Work Talk is Ziomar Copeno and Josh Elstro is our producer. I'm Bianca Cunningham. And I'm your co-host, Jamala Rogers. Thank you for listening.